Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. In 1972, we, the NYPD, were at war with the likes of Twyman Myers, a hostile media, a public who, for the most part, did not trust or like what they saw as the manifestation of the establishment. This was a brew for a hellacious and bloody year. The climate in New York was this. We cops were targeted for death. The us versus them mentality was a yoke on every cop's shoulder, worn like a heavy weight, carried daily with rounds and rounds of extra ammo to guard against everyone and anyone. In those mean 1972 streets, the only thing we could count on was one another, our brother cops and the superior officers we called boss. If only that held true on that particular April morning, what I and the rest of the country were about to witness would place an indelible black mark on the face of the NYPD, its uppermost echelon, the Nation of Islam, Police Commissioner Patrick V. Murphy, and Mayor John Lindsay, a dark, hurtful blemish that remains to this day, one that I myself could never and will never forget. We, the rank and file, were sandbagged by our own the hierarchy of the NYPD. One of our brother cops, Philip Cardillo, was murdered and subsequently bastardized, then hurried into the ground in a cloak of mystery and dishonor, all in an effort to cover up a purposeful negligence of duty so blatant it devised belief. In short, we were betrayed by our fathers, the police commissioner and his deputies. It was the collusion of our own, Mayor John Lindsay, Commissioner Patrick V. Murphy, Deputy Commissioner Benjamin Ward, Chief of Department Michael Codd, and Congressman Charles Rangel, with the Minister Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam, six in total, the circle of six. To understand the backstabbing fully, we have to go back in time, back to one of the most brutal periods in New York history, back to a time when 10 cops a year were systematically executed in cold and calculated hits. Back to one of the tra most traumatic eras in the story New York City Police Department passed. The place, Harlem, New York. The time, April 14th, 1972. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. I'd like to welcome Randy Jurgensen. Sir, it's an honor. Thank you for having me on the show. No, it's a pleasure. Randy, so uh, I, I, from what I read in the book, but can you just tell the audience where you grew up and how and why you decided to become a cop? I, I think we lost Eric. Um, but, you know, if you could just go with that. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, I, 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 went, I, I, I grew up uh, literally on the streets of the city of New, New York. Uh, 123rd Street and Amsterdam Avenue, 
which is two blocks south of 125th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. And if you stood on 125th Street and Amsterdam Avenue and looked east, you could see the Apollo Theater. This is where I, uh, <clears throat> I grew up. <clears throat> I'm the oldest son of uh, parents who uh, uh, were superintendents. Um, <clears throat> I was um, maybe 15, 16 years of age, and uh, I decided that I was uh, going to join, uh, uh, join the military. I and about four, at least four others, uh, <clears throat> we went to, um, I was pestering my parents, uh, you know, to sign me, to sign me. And uh, of my dad, in, in order, uh, you know, to get me off of, off of my mother. And, and I'm, I'm not making it sound like it sounds that, you know, there was arguments and fights and stuff like that. No, 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 no. So uh, she signed. So she signed. So with three or four others, uh, I went down to 42nd Street uh, and I went in and uh, uh, joined the military. And when they asked for my father's signature, I said that my, my father had died. My, and they didn't ask for a, a death certificate or anything. So I went into the I went into the military and I, I was quickly uh, sent up to Fort Devens, uh, Massachusetts, where I was caught. They caught me. And uh, the MPs uh, uh, put me on uh, put me on a bus from Massachusetts, uh, a civilian bus uh, to uh, the Port of Authority, where my father and a priest, uh, they uh, they met me. And uh, <clears throat> my dad said that, you know, he would sign if I would, you know, stay home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I said, of course, I would. And uh, uh, they signed. And on February the 20th, I was uh, uh, I made 17. And on February the 20th, which is my mother's birthday, off I went into the military to do three years. Um, uh, for, for, for money reasons, while I was while I was in there, uh, uh, I was told that, you know, hazardous duty pay, you would get extra money. And one of them was for being a paratrooper. So I signed up right away uh, to be a paratrooper. And I, <clears throat> I became a paratrooper, yada, yada, yada. And uh, <clears throat> I also signed up uh, for extra pay for demolition. I became a demolition expert. And um, I found out that you can only collect hazardous duty pay once. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I, I was only collecting it once and I got I got what they call uh, FECOM orders and they were going by my original not legal age of entering into the service and so you could not go into combat unless you were 18 years of age so I found myself in I found myself in Korea in uh, October, and I would not be uh, I would not be eighteen until December, and so <clears throat> uh, fought a few fights, got a few medals, uh, got wounded, got a Purple Heart, and uh, I, I I was I was sent home, and I was uh, discharged, and I was 19, 19 years of age with three years service. Um, 
So <laughs> there was no wow. money. There was absolutely wow. no money, no money whatsoever. You know, and a, a little side note, uh, you know, <clears throat> I I had earned some medals and um, the, 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 la the last medal that I earned was a bronze star along with the purple heart and I in, in, in a battle called uh, Pork Chop Hill. I never got it. I never got the I never got the Purple Heart, and I never got it. It was an honest mistake. And guys, fifty six years later, I got a call, and uh, <clears throat> they sent me to West Point, which they closed down West Point, the whole museum, and a uh, one star general, a, a, a colonel. Uh, I, I don't know who the hell else uh, uh, was there. My family was there. And I was given the Purple Heart and the, and the Bronze Star 56 years uh, later. So, but in any case, I came home and there was no work. I went back to, um, you know, I went back to collecting uh, uh, numbers, which, which was totally I I illegal. And of course, <laughs> of course, Brandon, I, I just want to stop you right there. I got, I I got caught. To, I just want to tell the public first uh, how an honor it is that you were the recipient of the Bronze Star, and also the Purple Heart. I mean, I served in Iraq with the United States Marines. Thank God I didn't get the Purple Heart. I didn't get wounded. I want to thank you for your service. It's an honor for the public to understand that you are the recipient of the Purple Heart, which means you were wounded in battle, and your service is commemorative, and, and it's extremely uh, important. And thank you so much. It's, so, it's super impressive to hear that you actually lied about your age to serve in the military. So it's, it's a great story. It, really impressive. But, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not the only one that, that that has done that. So, you know, collecting the numbers, and sure enough, I got caught. You know, and yeah. So, um, what happened when I you got, got caught? Out, I, I I got out of that one. Um, All right. And uh, so, one day we're, we're playing stickball. Um, this this uh, this guy Mike 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 Trainer, who's no longer with us. Uh, wound up as a cop. He wound up as the broom in the thirty second precinct. I don't. He never made a collar. Never went out in the yeah, street. Yeah. He was the broom. Uh, I you know. So we know he, someone like that. <laughs> a couple of people, right? <laughs> he he, he, uh, he showed up while we were playing stickball, and um, he had uh, he had papers uh, for the uh, Department of Parks. He had for the uh, post office, and he had for the police department. A lot of the guys that I talked to say, yeah, but the firemen, I don't remember. I don't remember the firemen. So, you know, the police department called first. And so um, I went and I, I, I passed the test. And um, you, 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 you being the, the Purple Heart or whatever, you could, you could get some extra points, even taking the sergeant's test or whatever it was. Being a veteran, they were going to give you like five extra points or something like that. I, I never, I never, I never took the points. So, <clears throat> the one other thing that uh, entered into this is that when I came home, I was given a thirty percent disability uh, from the VA. Um, you know, <clears throat> uh, a, sh a shattered eardrum. I lost some teeth. Um, I had three or four operations very, very close to my spine and so forth and so on. But uh, if I was to take the if I was to take the disability, the police department 
would not take me. So I never took the disability and I, I joined the police department. So to make make it uh, this long story is short, uh, I'm I'm in the academy. And um, while I'm while I'm in the academy, look, I'm still collecting numbers. And that, now I'm steering, <laughs> I'm steering to uh, wire rooms, you know, uh, yeah. of which my, my father was going to and my uncle. And of course, they, they're both arrested. And, and, and that would come up. That would come up later on as I was going to be a cop. So what happens, guys, is that I'm standing on the corner of 125th Street. And the, the people are coming up to me and, because they moved the wire room. They, they kept moving it. And they would give me the address. And I, I would say to the guys, oh, it's now located here. It's located here, located here. And, of course, I was being paid. And, I, and, and the guys that collected the numbers, before it went to the bank, they gave it to me. And I would bring it over to the bank. So <clears throat> I'm standing there. And one day, two guys come up to me. And we got you. We know who you are. Get up against the wall. And I get up against the wall. And they say, collecting numbers, that we know what you're doing with the wire room and stuff like that. Come, You're in, kid. You know, and I said, guys, can I tell you something? And they said, what? I said, I'm in the police academy. Can I show you my shield? And, <laughs> I, <laughs> and it was... Um, Altima uh, Tony Altamari and Sonny Israel. Those were the two cops. And the language that flowed after that, what are you fucking crazy? What are you doing? Are you nuts? Wait, let me see that. Is that a real shield? Well, long story short, they let me go, you know, and I sort of stopped doing what, what I was doing. I go to the police academy. I graduate from the police academy. I get assigned to Spanish Harlem. The two five precinct. As I'm walking into the two five precinct, there is Sonny Israel and Tony Altamari standing on the steps, and nothing flat. The whole two five precinct knew I was collecting numbers. This is what they did, and that followed me through the job forever. I'm telling you, uh, th they knew it. So I went into the uh, to the two five. I made some. I, I, I lucked out. I made some pretty good collars. I got a medal, blah, blah, blah. And I was assigned to uh, undercover narcotics. And I was a street, I was a street narcotics. I, I, I bought all over the city uh, uh, $75 half loads. Most of it was junk, really shit. So I bought it. Uh, but, and I did that for about uh, 18 months. You know, I let my hair grow, blew my nose all over myself. You know, and you have to remember back then, and I am talking 19, you know, 61, 62. Back then, every every cop really looked like Eddie Egan. You know, no cops <laughs> looked like me. And the job was run entirely, completely by if it wasn't Murphy, it was O'Brien. If it wasn't O'Brien, it was Fitzsimmons. I mean, it was just totally Irish, top to bottom, you know? So, <clears throat> undercover narcotics was very, very easy for me. I bought in Alphabet City. I bought in Harlem, wherever it was, because I really didn't, I didn't really fit the look of the New York City Police Department in 1960. So, <clears throat> my last buy 
My last buy is in Alphabet City. And I go up, knock on the door, $75. I give it to him. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going back downstairs. And I see sneakers and hands coming upstairs. And I know I'm in trouble. So I beat it back up, you know. And I, I pounded into the guy's door. I pounded on his door. And I said, you're next. And I ran up to the roof. And I went over the roof, a couple, three roofs, and I went down the fire escape, got out, and I walked out onto Delancey Street. You guys are cops. You know when something is not correct, your stomach is one of the first things that's going to tell you something's not right here. Something doesn't feel right. So I, I, I saw people like they were in a slow motion movie. They seemed to be wandering around, and it was predominantly Jewish. Ratness was there. And they were all looking at a black and white television. So I went into the 7th Precinct and, you know, I, I, I had to do the dance. So, you know, I go in, I'm undercover narcotics. Uh, uh, a UF-61, a UF-28 is a day off, blah, blah, blah. And the sergeant says, okay. So he recognizes me and I'm, I'm going to give him the junk. And I said, Sarge, I said, what's going on? He just took a deep breath and he looked back at me and he says, I don't know where the fuck you've been. But they just shot and killed the president of the United States. And that was wow. the last that was the last buy that I, I made in narcotics. I mean, <clears throat> you know, for two weeks the world stood still, including the police department. So after about two weeks, uh I get a call. I get a call to go over to um the DA's office. Najari uh, Najari was there and Make a long story short, um, this is what you're going to do, Jurgensen. Uh, uh, homosexuals are being uh, assaulted, kidnapped, shook down, blah, blah, blah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it didn't happen as fast as this. But we got you an apartment on Bleecker Street. You're going to go over to Bleecker Street. You're going to live over there. You're going to ingratiate yourself, blah, blah, which I did. And it took me uh, six months, seven months. They, they became known as the salt and pepper team uh, that were doing this to the homosexuals. And I, um, I got lucky. I got them. And 20, 24 hours after I got them, I got the gold shield. And I was uh, assigned. Uh, I, was, I was assigned to the, uh, to the 26th Precinct. Uh, which was uh, 126th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, one block north of 125th Street. I mean, I grew up in that neighborhood. I'm assigned there. Now, I have to take a minute here, and that will be the end of it. I'll, I'll answer the answer questions that you'll pose to me. When I was a kid of 12 years of age, uh, yep, okay, yeah, it was numbers. I was, you know, but I was also delivering groceries. And I was delivering groceries out of a grocery store uh, that was located on 123rd Street, one block south of the of the Catholic school that I attended, Corpus Christi, with George Collin. George Collin and I attended uh, school together. I was delivering groceries there. And uh, one day I got stopped and it was two cops. And back then, you know, I went in, I would pick up a box and I would deliver it. In the box was cigarettes, in the box was beer, groceries and so forth and so on. Yeah. And so I, I got stopped. And, um, you know, 
there was some name calling, which I'm not going to go into. There was some name calling to, towards me. And they took the beer and they took the cigarettes. And I went on, <laughs> I finished the delivery and I came back and, you know, <clears throat> I went to my father and I said to my father and my father said, you know what? Like, mind your business. You know, that's it. That, bop, bop. So I did. And it would happen two more times. Two more times it would happen. Same cops? So, you know, I never forgot who they were. Same I cops did it to you two more times? Huh? The same yes, cops it, did it to you two more times? Yes. Yes. And um, I get assigned to the 26th precinct, right? I, I probably have a gold shield 24 hours. I walk into the twenty. Uh, walk into the uh, to the twenty sixth precinct. I go upstairs to the squad room, right? And as soon as I enter the squad room, who do you think I see sitting there? Two the guys. two cops. I, you know, <clears throat> I'm not proud of this, but I lost it. I went over the top of the desk. I really, I really gave it to one guy, really good. <clears throat> the second guy was trying to pull me off. I elbowed him. I caught him right in the nose. It began to bleed. <clears throat> and the, the detectives jumped on me and uh, and placed me under arrest. I was uh, I, 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 I was under arrest. <clears throat> the lieutenant came out and before they started to, to process everything, they you know they took my gun, they took my shield and uh, you know and we, we were all in the room. there was a big big crowd and there was a, a boss. That was headed down, I guess, from the borough or whatever it was. And the lieutenant took me in the room and he said, you know, you're absolutely what, what's wrong with you? What, what's wrong with you? I swear before God, he said to me, you know, we heard that you were taking numbers when you were in the police academy. I swear to God. And I said, <laughs> I, said I never left you on. <laughs> no, no. So I said, to, I, I said, OK, here's what happened. And I told them what happened. And I told them the name calling. And I told them that they stole the, the cigarettes and they stole and, and they stole the beer from me and blah, 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 and so forth and so on. And he just sat, he just sat back in there and he said, you know, <clears throat> you sure it's, it's them that did it? I said, it's them that did it. I said, they did it. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, I was left in his office, right? And he came outside. He came back inside. He came back inside. This took about an hour, an hour and a half. And he said, <clears throat> here's your shield. Here's your gun. He said, <clears throat> you're not working. You're not working here anymore. You'll, you, you will get it. I, as far as I know, I was the only cop or detective that was transferred on a teletype. There were no orders transferring me from the 26th precinct. And you know where they sent me, guys? They sent me to the 28th precinct. And I would, I would wind up doing 17 years uh, in, in, in the 28th uh, precinct, you know, wound up in the DA's office chasing the Black Liberation Army. But I was working uh, on the Black Liberation Army 
on April the 14th, 1972. And if that's what you want to ask me, what happened that day or whatever, so we can we, we, we can go we can go from there. Absolutely, uh, Randy. Could you just explain for everybody who the Black Liberation Army is to you, okay. like as a whole, the organization? Okay. For as long as I was in the two eight precinct, um, uh, lo- the, it was located between the old two eight was located between Seventh and Eighth Avenue, and um, on one hundred and twenty third Street. So if you went over to Eighth Avenue and you made a right, a right going down Eighth Avenue, halfway down the block between one hundred and twenty third and one hundred and twenty second, there was a storefront there. And it was the Panthers. The Panthers were the storefront there. As long as I was in the 2-8 precinct, I was very, very aware of Mosque Number 7, which was located on 116th Street and 8th Avenue, right? Uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan's mosque. Uh, I, I knew it was a militant mosque. And most of what was coming out of the mosque was hate. And it was hate towards the Jewish people. There were name calling. He called them kikes. He, there was a, that was what really was coming out of the mosque. And being in the military, as I was, I recognize and uh, you, you, you do when you work in a precinct. And this is not a racist remark where it happened to be all black and 80 percent of them were doing heroin, nodding out on the street and so forth and so on. When you see somebody that's dressed in a suit that doesn't fit, but a white shirt and a red bow tie, you know damn full well, you know, they're, they're not reflective of the neighborhood. They're not, and I'm positive there were white neighborhoods that were the same way with the heroin users and so forth and so on. I'm not separating, separating the people. So I saw that immediately right away. And so did everybody else, you know. I never had any trouble with the mosque except once. There was a guy in Harlem Hospital that was damn near beat to death. And uh, I went up to interview him and he said, the Muslims did it. The Muslims, the, the Muslims did it. And uh, so <clears throat> I, took, I took the report. I mean, he was beaten. I took the report and uh, nat- naturally uh, I went with my partner, and I went and I knocked on the door of uh, mosque number seven. And I was meted, I was greeted by a man called Captain Josephs. Uh, his nickname is Yusuf Shaw. If there was anybody, and I would say this to both of you, and I, I know what you were and who you are, <clears throat> if there was somebody formidable, you know, for you to worry about, you know, I level meet you out in the street. This was a guy, believe me, not those standing out there with the bow tie, but this guy, Captain Josephs, right? I would learn he ran the mosque, uh, the FOI, the Fruit of Islam. So I said to him, I have this complaint from this guy and everything like that. And he said to me, he says, detective, he says, uh, I, I don't have her here right now but I would like to show you. And he called her sister something or whatever it was. And this guy, that was his girlfriend or his wife, 
sent her to the hospital, broken nose, just everything else that there really was wrong with her, right? And he said, we took care of the problem that was here in the mosque, the way he phrased it and stuff like that. So I said, okay, okay. So it was almost like a wash. And I put out, if there are any further developments on the DD5, if there's any further developments in this case, blah, 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 you know, it will be investigated and blah, blah, blah. I didn't put down what they did and so forth and so on. So it was, was it a favor to the mosque? Uh, no, it, 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 it really was not. I, I, I knew where this was going to go, where this, where this was actually going to go. So that was my only encounter, only encounter with the mosque. So come, come, uh, and I knew, uh, I, I knew about the Panthers. Now, every May, every May for all the years that I was there uh, before April the 14th, uh, <clears throat> Don't forget, I got there in, in 1963 to the 2-8. So every May, the Panthers would come around, especially in 1968. I'll never forget that when Martin Luther King was here. And they would uh, stand outside the 2-8 precinct, lock arms, and sing a bridge over, a bridge over troubled waters. You know, I, I wanted to kill uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. For, <laughs> they played it loud, and they would march into the 2-8. They did get into the 2-8, but they didn't get upstairs. We would put the lockers down at the top of the stairs, you know, and we, because the, the lockers all contained the cops' guns. There's no arrests were ever made, and that's what the Panthers did. And as quick as they did that, they made their point that they would leave and then go back. So that was my dealing. That was my dealing with the Panthers. That was my dealing with the mosque. So once again... In uh, 1969, 1970, um, Artie Plate and uh, Charles Stewart, um, a sergeant, a black sergeant, Artie Plate, white, the chauffeur, they were triangularly shot upon. And when I got to the scene, I absolutely knew, absolutely knew that the people in the street you know, in that neighborhood, they were not capable capable of of doing this. Randy, so, Randy, I I just want to stop you right there for a moment, just so the public is aware where we're at. So, you got up to the point in 1969. You told us about the Black Liberation Army, about the Black Panthers, which I think is great. So, at this point, you said there was uh, they had formed the triangular point. They've gotten shot at. At this point, is this the Cardillo incident? Is this something no. related? No. 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 No, this is, this is this is this is 1969, 1970, plus, right. and neither one of them were hit, and 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 plus the plus they they did it again, they did uh, they did it again uh, uh, to a car, a good friend of mine, uh, Joe uh, Joe Mazzilli, a Vietnam veteran, uh, uh, working in the two eight, uh, they they called the sniper fire. Into, into the radio car, right? So, Randy, is, I, this, is this just random, or these in in response to like nine one one calls? Are these just random shots at cops? 
That's what uh, I was no, asking for. No, this, no, this is random. This is just random. The it guys are driving. Never called oh. to this place. No, this this was random. This yeah. was definitely random. And you know, I caught both of those cases. Uh, for right. whatever the reason, I, I I got both of those. I got both of those cases. And you know, I didn't have to convince the guys that I was working with, but I tried to convince like the superior officers, stuff like this, that you know, and, and I said it. I, I said, I suspect the Panthers, uh, you know, of doing this is good weaponry. This, this is not a Saturday yeah. night special that's happening here. So, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, all, all, all of that was going on. But I have to tell you, the 2-8 was then dubbed, the, you know, it was uh, the 7-9 was to live and die in bedford Stye. The 4-1 was Fort Apache. And the 2-8 was the murder factory. So it there was so much work with the homicide. We got 102 homicides uh, for four years straight. 102 oh, just in our precinct. When they were killing 2,000 people a year in the 70s, you know, the 2-5, the 3-2, and the 2-8 made up the 6th Division. We got 500 of them. We had 500 of those homicides. All ground balls. Yeah. All ground balls. Right. Except, except when they started killing the cops. You so, had a fourth of all the homicides in New York City? Yeah. One fourth out of the 2-8? Yes. For and, four and years. That, and these, these are small precincts, too. I mean, this is... No, the 2-8 is stuff. the smallest. Right. The 2-8 is the smallest. The 3-2, you know, yeah. But uh, the 6th Division would fit into Fort Apache. It would wow. fit into into uh, the South Bronx, yeah. There was no picnic up there, and the 7-9 was no picnic, believe me. So, so... Once again, you know, I then, in 1971, this is a full year before Phil Cardillo, Piagentini and Jones are killed. And look, the mission papers come in. There's no two ways about it. And this was the first that I really heard of the Black Liberation Army. That's the first that I heard. And the, the, the mission papers came in. And um, it was signed by 21-year-old Twyman Myers and 26, 27-year-old um, Joanne Chesamad. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about, about the Black Liberation Army guys. Right? Most of them, most of them, and you, uh, appreciate the time, 1971-72. Most of them were going to community college. Yes, they were. Uh, uh, Joanne Chesimard's uh, uh, parents, which I interviewed along with an FBI agent, they, they, they were well-educated people. Not because they were black. They were, I'm saying, no, they were educated people. I mean, Joanne Chesimard really didn't lack for too much growing up of, uh, you know, uh, of anything. I never could figure out uh, Twyman Myers. Twyman Myers was just a stone killer. So, so I, I re remember getting there. I remember getting there that night. And of course, I undressed Piagentini and so forth. And I saw where the gunshots were and so forth and so on. And from that point on, which was 1971, May of 1971, I was yanked out of the 2-8. I was yanked out of the 2-8. And Seedman said to myself, 
Seidman said uh, to Nick Cirillo, uh, Tom uh, Toomey, Mike DiSalvatore, and um, the other guy's name always escapes me. And Seidman said to us, and of course, this is like a week or two later, after that horrible night where I met Diane, the wife, and so forth, um, Seidman says uh, exact words. Go get these bastards. Don't come home until you get them. And for two years, and for two years, that's what we did. I went to Atlanta. I went to St. Louis. I went to Denver. Uh, I wound up in San Francisco, uh, 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 where not by myself, uh, where we got bottoms in Washington. Uh, we missed Herman Bell uh, a, a few hours. And along the lines, I, I kept missing uh, uh, Joanne. Uh, uh, Joanne Chesimard. So I was working on the Black Liberation Army when I was sitting at 125th Street on April the 14th, 1972. I was sitting on the Black Liberation Army when the 1013 came over from the mosque and Phil Cardello. So Randy, before before we get into April 14th, I, uh, I just want to clarify as for the public, because we do have a lot of people that aren't cops that listen, Seedman is the chief of detectives at the time, right? Seedman's the chief of detectives for the for the entire department, correct? Uh, yeah. Seedman, uh, 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 yes. He's, the, he's uh, the chief of detectives. Uh, of course, Seedman is the chief of detectives for the Cardillo case. Yes, he is. Yes. And, um, and for Piagentini... Could you just describe briefly just those events, too, so the public knows how these officers were murdered, like the deaths of, of those officers, that case, and, and how like and, and, and how the Black Liberation Army is tied into that? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm very, Look, uh, I'm very reluctant to even go into detail. All right, don't don't even don't you even know, do it. Then. In fact, you know, when when Biden was on the stand, you know, we we we'd ask the family, you know, to please leave the leave the courtroom, you know. But okay, all right, here's what it, happened. It, it, so, if you don't want, just briefly, just an overview. Don't. Yeah, don't okay. I don't want to upset you. You know, yeah. just so uh, Piagentini uh, and Jones had had never worked together. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, what's you call it? Uh, the people in that sector, one was in court, and and the other one was sick, so it was an empty radio car, and so they Piagentini and Jones were put into the into the radio car. Um, you know, they were seasoned. They they, they were seasoned cops, and. Um, what the Black Liberation Army would do, I, we didn't know that at this point. What the Black Liberation Army was doing, they were calling uh, 1013s at, at, at various uh, locations. And they, I'm telling you, they were well, well done. And they would, uh, they would time how long it took for the radio cars to get there for the 1013. So how many practice runs, I, I, I don't know. So uh, one night, they decided uh, in the projects and a call comes in that it's a domestic. It's a, it's a domestic dispute. And so Piagentini and Jones, they respond. They cross over, not even their sector. 
they crossed because the sector was doing something else. And and and, and guys, you, you you're on the job. You did all all the all the time. You know, the the, the, the domestic. <laughs> you know what it is. He, he's had too much to drink. They did up up up. And by the time you get there, she she don't want him arrested. You know. But okay. So what? <clears throat> so they get out of the car and they're walking. And as they as they go walking, triangularly fired again. And they are relieved of their weapons. And their weapons are used against them. Their own weapons are used against them. And Piagentini's gun is taken as a trophy. It's kept as a it's kept as a trophy. Now, when I got the call, uh, I I did not I did not go I did not go I did not go to the scene, and I have a habit of doing that because the answer the answer is in the hospital. You know, I I did the same thing. I I left I left the mosque. And I told Seedman, I'm going to the hospital to interview the cops that were there. That's where the answer is at, at you know at this point. So I didn't go to the scene. I went, I, I went to Harlem Hospital. I mean, uh, it looked like half of Manhattan North was there. So I I I I got there and uh, you know the crying, the yelling, the screaming, and stuff like that. And I I I met <clears throat> I met uh, 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 Sergeant Kirkland, the second whip, and uh, I, I, I said to him, I, I, "Are we talking to them?" And he said to me, "He said uh, Jones is in the op uh, operating room." He said, "And Piagentini's downstairs. Uh, they they do have a, a, a morgue, if you will, at Harlem Hospital." So I went down there. And there were two or three detectives down there. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I undressed them. I, un I, I undressed them. Uh, I, I noted quite quickly that there was no gun. That was the first thing. And that's not the first time that that happened. Um, <clears throat> so I noticed that there, there was no gun. And the... Um, <clears throat> He'd been shot and mutilated. I'll tell you that now. And uh, <clears throat> so Jones, uh, while I was down there, while I was down there, I don't know who brought the news that Jones was, uh, Jones died. I never did get to see uh, Jones's, Jones. I didn't. So upon doing that, I then went over to the locker and I broke, I broke into his locker and I, I took out, you know, what I had to take out. And uh, <clears throat> we weren't vouchering anything at that particular time. We were still in the, it, 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 you know, in, in the steps of it. And then here's the hard part, guys. You know, <clears throat> it's two o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. I'm with the uh, mayor. I'm with uh, the police commissioner and uh, um, no, 
the uh, the chief uh, the, the chief of detectives and um down a long hallway here comes Diane Piagentini mother of three all under the age of uh, all under the age of 7 and the mother of three and she's coming down the hall and uh she's got she's accompanied by a priest and um I don't remember if there was a PBA delegate or not but they went and got her they they they, they, they went and got her and um the introduction and so forth and so on and she looked directly at me and she said, uh, can I see my husband? And I said, uh, uh, you know, I said, Mrs. Piagentini, I says, not at this time. I said, you know, yes, uh, of course. I said, he's not alone. You know, he's with me. And I really forget uh, really what, uh, uh, what I say. And, <clears throat> and then, of course, she's taken into a room. And they all went to sit down, coffee, cigarettes, and all that. And I left. And uh, and uh, and and I left. I, of course, I I I I didn't go home. And I I met a couple of other detectives there. And I, what I really wanted to get, what I really wanted to get was, and I couldn't get it uh, from the, the 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 lieutenant that put them in the car and stuff like that. I was trying to get as much of that information of how they got there. I didn't know nothing about a domestic call. I knew nothing about that uh, uh, whatsoever. And the next thing that I knew, the next thing that I knew, I I had, I had that. It wasn't my precinct. <clears throat> I, had, I had Piagentini. And they had formed up at that time, they had formed up what they called the major case squad or the Mayber Crime Unit, whatever the hell it was, and it was operating out of one PP, and um, and that's when they had, you know, the the Italian cops that went bad. Yep. All of those specialized units were okay. So I had Piagentini. I worked very close with Butler, who had uh, who had uh, Jones, and yeah. But it wasn't very long until the mission paper didn't come in, taking credit for it, war against this, war against that, so forth and so on. Now, this is 1971. This is a year away from the mosque. In 1968, in 1968, um, there was such a riot at Columbia University and they were burning the flag, and uh, they're the ones that called us pigs. So, uh, and we didn't go in there until we weren't invited, and that was after three days. And then we went in to Columbia University. I bring that story up to to let to let you know, which you would probably do, or to let the people that are looking at this, it was not a very good time to be a New York City cop wearing that blue uniform. You were pigs. You were this. You, you can't believe everything. And if you were, and if you were a Vietnam veteran, uh, you were being called baby killers. It, it just was, it all seemed to turn on a dime. And I, I will go to 1968 
1968, it's, it's only five years after we've killed the president. In 68, we're going to kill Kennedy and we're going to kill uh, uh, Martin Luther King. So it, it just really, it was not a very good time, you know, to, to, to be a cop. The name calling, blamed for every damn thing that, everything that you could p- possibly think of. Don't forget Kent State, the, all of that, right? So with that in mind, I know that this has this has got to be this is definitely like like a hate crime. This this definitely this is a Gosh, war. This, this is definitely a war. You know, it's not drug dealers that are getting even with these. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And I will never stick up for the mob. I will go back. My best friend is is Joe Pistone. Uh, you know, Donnie Brasco, you know, yep. FBI, you know, and I tell him, you know, FBI stands for famous, but incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, it was so, a good movie, though. It was a good movie. They went to school. They went to school too long. That's why, you know. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, 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 I just know, you know, it, 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 it's got to be a far and away group. I would later learn on, you know, this belongs in the conversation now, but I would, I would later learn this very much. There was a picture, there was a picture, and it was called the Battle of or the Battle for Algiers. And that picture, black and white, that picture opens up that there's a cop. Of course, he's a French cop. And he's standing there, and and what what it shows is the cop is standing there. He's looking at the traffic, and a guy in civilian clothes, this is how the picture opens up, walks up, puts the gun behind the cop's head, shoots, and kills him, and then walks away. And the picture is about the following. It's Algiers, and they're trying to break away from France. And so... And it is the, it's the uh, France army that's occupying Algiers. It doesn't work. It, it continues. So France sends paratroopers. That doesn't work. And then suddenly somebody comes up with the idea, let's use the, let's use the Algerian police. And so they prop up the Algerian police to, to stop the riots, to stop what was going on. And suddenly the Algerian police find that their families are being threatened and so forth. The Algerian police quit. 48 hours later, France left Algiers and they got their freedom. The Black Liberation Army was looking at that film, I can't tell you how many times. We hit a safe house in Denver, and there was the film. There was the film. That was their manifesto. And it, and it all about cells and all about that's what they fashioned themselves after. In other words, you can have your army, you can have your paratroopers, you can have this. If you don't have a police department, it collapses. And so that's what the war on, that's what the war 
on, on cops was to be about with the Black Liberation Army. So all of that happened. All of that was going on. All of that was in the atmosphere. All of that was, that was it the morning of April the 14th, 1972. And of course, I had been told, pick my team. Uh, I, 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 I was given a shotgun and uh, there, there were two, uh, I forget who had them right now, uh, 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 Jerome, uh, 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 Jerry, uh, he would wind up driving the bus uh, at the mosque. But yes, uh, and he, but they were not, they were semi-automatic uh, carbines and, and we had them. And yes, I, I, I filed down the shotgun, I did, and I put the strap through the holster and, and I carried that, and I and I wore a mil and I wore a, a military jacket. I I I wore, I wore my army fatigues. Said I was a sergeant, you know. I put everything on there. I, I didn't put the Purple Heart, you know, the Combat Cross. All all of it was there. And Jurgensen, I put my name. So that's that's what it was. April fourteenth, nineteen seventy two. So you guys are at war. I mean, the police department's at war. We're being assassinated. I, I, Cops I, I, are fully I, I promise you. I promise you, we are. I promise you, we are. And you can't. And you can't find a friendly face. And, and everybody cops, hated I, us. Everybody. And and, and uh, April fourteenth, nineteen seventy-two. Before that call comes over, everybody's well aware at that point. We're at war. They're calling in fake jobs, and we're being assassinated. And uh, if you could just, if you know, if you could just again walk us through the the incident of April fourteenth, where Philip Cardillo and three other officers enter Mosque Number Seven. So, I I, I got the ten thirteen, and uh, that had been done before to pull us off. But they, you know, if they if they spotted us there, and let's say that somebody was in the building or whatever it was. They would call a 1013 at a, diff at a different address. And of course, everybody goes on a 1013. So uh, when the first call came over, and it was just quite this quick, uh, there were six of us, and I, uh, I sent three. I told them, go, go, go. And uh, we, we, we all had our own band. We all had our own band. So when I'm talking to them, Nobody in Manhattan North could hear us. We were on our own band. So I said, go, go. And so they started off. I don't think that they got four or five blocks away when the next one came over and it said shots fired. And when it said shot fires, I said, that's it. And I went. Um, I drove across on 25th Street. I got blocked in by the traffic. So I zigzagged up on the sidewalk and I, I went down Morningside Avenue. And I'm going to 102 West 116th Street. There's no way that I knew that that was the mosque. I did not. I didn't know it. So I get to 116th Street. I'm exactly two and a half blocks away from the mosque. And so I go, I make the left. I go down and I get to the next avenue over, which I believe is Manhattan Avenue. And I see the crowd and I see what and, and I could see it. I still don't know it's the mosque, but <clears throat> I couldn't go any further. So I got out of my car and I had the shotgun. And in order to get 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 through the crowd, 
you know, I got the shotgun and I got it above my head and I'm, I'm running and the people, the people are in the streets. I mean, so, and, and what I did, what any other detective would do, what you would do as I'm running, I'm looking for that familiar face that when I can come back later on, you know, to know what is going on, you know, it, that, that stuff just comes to you if you're a cop, you know, and, and, and if you let it, you, you know, it will, a crime scene will speak to you if you let it. So <clears throat> I'm running down there. I'm looking for that familiar face. And I did see one. It was a female. And I, I, I did see that familiar face and I'm, I'm going. And then I realized it was the mosque. And once I knew it was the mosque, I could spend the next 15 minutes of telling you what was going on in my stomach and what was going on in my head, and none of it was good. I'm going to tell you that. None of it was good. So now <clears throat> I get there, and the first thing that I see, the first thing that I see is the commanding officer of the 2-8. And, um, <clears throat> and we know each other. Brandy, he says, uh, is this your case? That's the first thing he said to me, and I said, no. I, I, I said, no. What, what, what's going on? And he said, uh, this is when we were shot. And, uh, there, there are a couple of guns missing and so forth and so on. And they hadn't called off the 13. But they called it off and they called it on and they hadn't called it off. Look, <clears throat> so it was not by me. So it was called off. And I, I, went, I went into the mosque. I opened up the door. I went into the mosque. And all I saw were bullet holes. And I saw blood. I saw that the, the both both windows were broken. It's just observation. That's all it is. This it's was on the being, first floor, it's right? Not being, right? Yes, right. It's not being this great detective. I observed these things, and and so I went downstairs. And when I went, and I'd never been there, and I went downstairs, and there I saw a group a group of cops. I I can name them. And they had maybe 10 or 12, and they were Muslims, up against the wall over there. Rudy Andre actually had handcuffs on one, on one right there. So I said to, I, I said to Rudy, uh, I, I said to Rudy, and I said to the other one, I said, you know, what, what, do you know what happened here? Do you know, uh, no, uh, uh, Phil, uh, Phil's upstairs. Uh, 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 Phil's upstairs. He, you know, he's badly beaten in this. They didn't know Phil was shot. None of mm. them knew Phil was shot, including Vito, his own partner. So I came. I remember I came you talking back, about that. I came book. back upstairs. I came back upstairs, and of course, and I, I saw the commanding officer, and I and I said to him, I said. Um, you know, this is a crime scene. You got to protect it. You got to do that. I exactly said that to him. I am okay. So here comes, here comes um, a, a round of bosses, and all they want to know is, okay, what happened? And they want to be talking to the detective that was there, and I was not the only detective. So. <clears throat> I said, no. I said, nope. The answer is at the hospital. I got in my car and I went over to the hospital. And it was a triage. 
cops, plenty of cops, plenty of cops there. So it's important at this time. Uh, my father, my father was in charge of the maintenance department of uh, St. Luke's Hospital, and there wasn't a doctor or anybody who didn't love my father. It was very popular. Well, so <clears throat> I went over to uh, I, I went over to St. Luke's, and as as I'm going into St. Luke's, there's my dad. And he, uh, are you all right? Is everything okay? And I said, yeah, dad, I'm fine. I, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I said, what, you know, where, where the, the emergency room and stuff like that. And my father's walking me over there. And he says to me, he says, uh, we're, we're, we're setting up a room. We're setting up a room for the mayor who's coming. And we're setting up a room for all of the other dignitaries that are, that are coming. My father said that to me in, in St. Luke's <laughs> and I go around to the emergency room and I want to paint this picture there. It's nothing but bed, 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 bed up against the wall. And the curtains are drawn out from each bed. And the first one that I get to, the first one that I get to is, uh, uh, uh um, I get to, uh, uh, Padilla and, um, Negron. Negron, thank you. Negron and Padilla. And Negron is standing there. He's got his gun in the air and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. They got his gun. They got my partner's gun. They got his gun. And there's a sergeant there. There's a sergeant there. Look, <clears throat> these guys are dead. They're not there. And <clears throat> I don't think that I don't think that uh, Padilla was fit for duty. Can we let it go at that? Yeah. Okay. Understood. So, Understood. Not Padilla. I beg your pardon. Negron. And Understood. So, so uh, uh, I said, "All right, all right." So I went over and I said to Negron, "I says, give me the gun." I says, "Give me the gun. Give me the gun." And at that point, Negron began to convulse. And he was almost convulsing right off the table. So they, they, they grabbed him, the, the orderlies, the doctors, they were holding him. They were holding, and he was just out of it. And he was beaten. Uh, he was just out of it. And once again, he didn't have, he didn't have his gun. I, I, didn't see, I didn't see Padilla's gun. So now I went around, I, I, I went around to, the, to the next one. And there was um, Rudy Andre, and uh, you know he was he was uh, uh, he he was beaten, and he, he was bleeding. And then I went to the third one, and uh, Rudy Andre, how he got there after I saw him downstairs at the mosque is still a mystery to me. So I uh, I went to the to the third one, and there was Vito. And his first words were, Randy, they shot Phil. They, 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 they shot Phil. And I, oh, oh, and I said, Vito, I said, this hospital has a reputation. And we, I testified, this hospital has a reputation of never losing a cop. So don't worry about that. Now, from his eyeballs and his mouth and his ears, Vito was bleeding and they were taking care of him 
and he was bleeding. I didn't know it at the time, but the uh, fracture in the ankle. And so I said to him, I said, Vito, you got to come back with me to the mosque. Uh, okay. I said, Vito, you really have to come. And the nurse, the, uh, whatever the nurse was saying, she says, no, I, uh, he, he can't. Re- the doctor needs to go. We're going to have x-rays. And, and, and I said, Vito, you're going to come with me. And he said, yes. Now, I want to tell you something about Phil Cardillo. When I was a uniformed cop in East Harlem, I used to go into this. Yeah, I okay, I'm, I'm doing this to death. I used to go into a place called Ideal Florist. And it was Frankie and Tessie. And Tessie was Phil Cardillo's aunt. But that's not the reason I went in there, because I didn't even know about Phil Cardillo. I went in there because Frankie was taking numbers and I would play, I would play my numbers in uniform. I used to hit, I used to hit. So, so one day, uh, Phil, Phil's in there and, uh, and Frankie's telling me, look, he wants to be a cop and he, w- he wants to be able to use your name and everything. And I said, yeah, sure. Go right ahead. That was Phil Cardillo. I totally forgot about that, never even remembered it, yada, yada, yada. So that's the Phil Cardillo story that I knew him. So I get this towel, and I soak this towel as wet as I can. And I put the towel all around Vito's head, wet. The water's running all over the place. And I said, come on, Vito, we're we're going back to the mosque. And he says, okay. And the nurse walked away. She left. But she went to tell the doctor, "I, I have no idea. So now I'm walking Vito out, and there's cops, and they see it. And boy, the language, and we're going to do it, we're going to, you know, oh boy. So I'm, I'm getting Vito out. Lo and behold, I'm walking out to the vestibule, and there is standing the police commissioner, the mayor. Now Benjamin Ward wasn't there. He was still at the scene. And there was somebody else. I, I, I really don't, I, I don't know who it was. And once again, a backstory. This is 1972. I received uh, like the Combat Cross and a, a, a few others uh, for a shooting having nothing to do with the Black Liberation Army that I had to do with. And I was getting a medal. And I refused to get that medal from the mayor. I wouldn't take, take the medal from the mayor or the police commissioner. And that made a big stink. So it was Sergeant Kirkland, the second whip in the 2-8. I said, I'll take the medal from him. And I took the medal from him. Now, why, why, happened, would he t- why would he take it, Randy? Could you, could you, could, was there was, no, I, what, what was it? Lindsay and them, they, they, they believed, and I'm sort of cutting to the chase here, and I'm exaggerating, but the cops that were being killed, oh, they, they believed there was some form of corruption in there. That you know the cops were doing something or whatever it was. So now, you felt I didn't they didn't have hear your that back. from them, but that was the atmosphere. That yeah. was the atmosphere. You felt so, they didn't care about you guys. Oh man, come on! So he calls me Sounds over. Very familiar. Detective. Oh boy, does it? He says, "Detective," and I leave Vito standing there. I couldn't find a chair, so I went over, and uh, he said to me, "He said." Um, what you, you were over there, and I said, "Yes, sir, I was." I didn't realize how tall uh, Lindsay was. Lindsay was a a big uh, a, a, a big man, 
he he got to be six two or six three, and how the, the mayor, uh, how our police commissioner. So I said yes, I was over there, and he said uh, everything is under control. He says everything is under control over there, and I said when I left there, I said they were still calling ten thirteens. I said and there was a lot of people in in in, 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 in you know in in the street. And I remember distinctly saying that. And I testified before the grand jury with that. And he said to me, there's no riot over there. And I said, I never said, I never said there was, Your Honor, I said, I never said there was a riot over there. And Lindsay looked down and the, the police commissioner said, no, it, there's no riot over there. It's all under control. I spoke to the people that are, that, 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 that are over there. There's no riot over there. And I said to him, I said to him, I said, whatever. They're all trying to paint the narrative already. That's the narrative. Whatever. Nothing, if you want to believe, if you want to, you, and I know you're believing everything I say, and I can substantiate it. So I get out, and I'm going down with Vito. Day later, whatever it was, a lieutenant comes to me from the police commissioner's office and says to me, you know, you, you you can't you can't talk to the police commissioner that way. And I said, what way? You can't tell the police commissioner whatever and walk away. I said, well, I did say that. I said, whatever. I said, you know what the conversation was? And the lieutenant says, Randy, I'm on your fucking side all the way with with, with, with those people. But you, but you can't do that. And I said, OK, Lou. I said, well, do I apologize? He said, no. It's, it's it's done and it's over with. For, for saying whatever. Whatever. Thank okay. you. Randy, you would get along great with John and I. We don't play well with politics either. <laughs> so, so. Randy, and, and just and just real quick, can you just tell everybody why you're taking Vito there? Like, so on people on the stand, you're well, taking him there to do well, an ID, right? Well, so. obviously, ob- obviously, you know, Phil is shot. I mean, Vito's there. Uh, Rudy Andre is there, uh, you know, whatever cops are, uh, uh, were, uh, were, were in the hospital. And of course, I, I never did get a chance to talk to uh, 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 Negron. I, I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to talk to Negron as to what, what was going on. And, you know, we as detectives, we have questions and they are there. They have the answers to to our questions you know and of course it's going to come up that first of all phil shot himself you know phil phil shot himself mike Biden, as far as i'm concerned he can walk on water if not part it what he did with a dummy and to show that phil couldn't shoot himself so this is why i'm bringing Vito back now i get to the door and there is uh benjamin ward and a Muslim, which I don't know. And they're standing there. They're standing there at the door. And Benjamin Ward says to me, no uniform personnel allowed in the mosque. And I got veto with this towel. And I said, all right. I said, okay. You know, I could have said I'm going to go home and get a uniform, but I didn't do any of that shit. So I said, uh, okay, I said, but he's going in there. And Benjamin Ward 
looked over at whoever this was. It wasn't Captain Joseph. Looked over, and he said, yeah, he can go in. He could go in there. So that was my first inkling. <laughs> Here's the man. He's the highest ranking man on that. Okay. So Vito goes in there, and I'm saying, please, God, Vito, get it. And I also said, Vito, Seedman's down there. Seedman is down there. You go. Next thing I know, and they're all down there. And I'm hooked up with my unit now. And of course, the streets are. And Big Bertha's there. Big, uh, Big Bertha is there. The ESU truck, right? That's what you guys called Big Bertha? The, uh, the emergency yes. service truck? Yes, yes. Loudspeakers, the whole thing. And when I went away, the cops were ringing the mosque. When I came back, it was the Muslims. And the cops were on the far corner. And the people were doing whatever they wanted to do. They, uh, they overturned my car. Uh, they, uh, they overturned the other car. There were some small fires. But the main, main stuff, there was stuff now being off the, uh, off the roof, coming off the roof. So Benjamin Ward gets on Big Birthday, takes the microphone, and his first words were <laughs> all white cops, all right, white cops return to their command. All, he said it more than two or three times. <clears throat> and, you know, and he used the word black, and all, all, all black cops remain, remain on site. Now, I'm out in the crowd, and one of the cops came to me, and it might have been my own team, and said, what's a block cop? A block? What is a block cop? And always remember, guys, and you're in the military, the police department is a semi-military organization. A command given or an order given, it's expected to be obeyed. We are a semi-military organization. So... I, I said, no, he's saying black cops. And, you know, they were dumbfounded. The cops were dumbfounded. Return to your command. So what that would do would leave the 2-8. And half of them were over at the hospital. And the other half were, were downstairs with prisoners, they thought. So that's what it was. Now, later on, I would find out that there were the bosses, the bosses, outranked the 12 black cops that stayed. Now, there was one car from the 3-2 where they were black and white. And the white guy didn't want to leave and so forth and so on. And, you know, and they exchanged ammunition. I testified to that. that they sh- And they went. They did. They left. And so when they left, right, I took my team, I took my team, and I walked away. I walked away only to find that the, the, the car had been overturned. and uh, but So I, I walked away. Now, we still have our radios. Hal, the commander of the 2-8, calls me on the radio and says, Jurgensen, uh, and he, he gives the number uh, 10-2 or 10-1. I, I forget what it is. That means meet me. Yep. That means, so that, you got a good memory. You got I left, right, ten two. Ten two the command. Right. I left. I, I I left my team. I went back up, and he said, "Randy, somebody's <clears> going <throat> to be killed. Somebody would be killed. You have to go up on this roof." And by now, there were some bricks coming up, and there was a bus with people that were trapped in there. 
there, there was a bus. It, it couldn't go forward. And he says, you, you got to go up on the roof and stop that. And I said, okay. So I went back up and through. And of course, once he said about black, white cops leave, now it became a snake dance. And you guys know what a snake dance is. And, and, and oh, man. So, and there was some looting and it's their own stores. So <clears throat> I took the team and I went and I made it a military operation. And I went in there on the ground floor and I, I found the stairs and I went and I went up to the first floor while Delesio stayed with a carbine on the ground floor. And so everybody, oh, they, they're not coming. Once I got to the first floor, I blew and he scampered up there. And now I went to the third floor and I now I left two because there were people that were living in the building and they were coming up. So I left two and I left the guys with the carbines. I left them there. And then I made the roof. And once I made the roof, I called them. I, I, I called them, come on up. And they stood by the doorway of the roof, right? And they stood in, like in a military thing. They were down with carbines pointed at the door. And the first person that I saw was the, the guy in the dashiki, uh, five five percent something. The guy in, uh, the, I name him in the book. I saw him. But they they closed the door, and it was kids. They dismantled, and once they saw me, they they got they saw us. They got rid of the bricks that were now coming down. The, the bricks were now the the bricks also the bricks stopped. And the other thing is, um, if you've ever been in combat, <laughs> helicopters play a big part in combat. That helicopter came so low over 116th Street, the dust was coming up from the roof and stuff like that. And I was just waving, <laughs> my, waving my badge. I was waving my badge at the guy with the helicopter. Boy, <laughs> so he sort of he sort of backed off. And as soon as he backed off, there was the door, and here come inspector. Um, here comes the inspector, um, and he came through the door with his chauffeur, and he came to with five uh, x a uh, Kenyatta, five x Kenyatta in the dashiki, and as he came out, right, the people behind him. So I know you're looking at me, so. Now, just be me. What I'm seeing is him coming out and then all the people from the, from the street coming out and they're going around the roof, all going around the roof, forming like a semicircle. And we're all the way in the back. We're in the back. So we're not surrounded because we got the back of the back of the roof on us. But if there if there was one person, there was 50, maybe more. And the guy comes over, uh, the guy comes over, the, the cop comes over, and he said, um, I have to search you. And I said, you have to do what? I, I have to search you. So D'Alessio was there, and, and D'Alessio said, you're not searching me. You're not searching me. And the guy says, I have orders to search you. And uh, I said to D'Alessio, I said, D'Alessio, I'll handle this. I said, I'll handle this. I said, all right. I said, you, you, you want, you, you want, you want these weapons. 
the carbine and and, and the rifle. And he said yes. And I said, I'm not I'm not giving up the carbines. I said, I'm gonna tell you that right now. I'm not giving up the carbines. I will give up. I was afraid that those carbines would wind up in the hands if they ever stormed us. So that's the reason I was I wasn't being obstinate. I was I, I was thinking that. So I said, but you can have the shotgun. So I broke the shotgun down, but I kept I kept the the uh, I, I I kept the numbers uh, on the. It wasn't the breech; it was the handle. I kept that, so I gave them the wood and I gave them the barrel. But I kept I I kept this. I I didn't keep that. I was afraid there was getting the crowd. I kept that to show that this was a legitimate gun issued by the police department. So they took it. They they took those. They took it. And he turned around and he walked off and we were on the roof with 50 to 60 people. And there was only one way off that roof. So I said to the guys, okay, follow me. And I, I went to the Lesio and I said, do not, do not under any circumstances. I said, give up that carbine. I said, damage it before you give it up. We're going to, we're going to be up. We're going to go. And we started. And we started down the stairs with them following me. And they did part. They were parting. We were going down. There was names. And yes, they were spitting. They spit on us. And we were going down. And as we made it to the first landing, and somebody threw, and I'll never forget that, somebody threw a Pepsi can. And the Pepsi can hit one of the guys. No damage done, but that was it. That's what did it. Then they, they rushed us. And I was using... I was using the, uh, you know, the, the 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 weapon to get out, and we made it out into the street. We made it out into the street, and we went for the radio cars, and I made it into the radio cars. When again, it was uh, San Pedro said they got Jerome. They got they we didn't call him Jerome. They got Jerry. They got Jerry. And I looked, and they had Jerry, the black cop. They had him. So back out we went. No cops. There were no cops there. So we just our crew, we went back out there and we got Jerry. And yet we did some damage. We did some damage uh, getting, swinging, doing, yes, we did. And so we got back out and I got into the radio car. And in they crashed in the window in the radio car. It was like a boom, unbelievable. So I got out of the radio car. And unbeknownst to me, there's a guy standing on top of the radio car. And then Louis D'Alessio and them were behind me. And uh, the guy uh, let go. And and that bag that you see in the picture is a brick. And that brick hit me. And as it hit me, at the same time, Louis D'Alessio is firing a shot. I was totally convinced I was shot. I was totally convinced I was shot. Now, some of the rest of it gets a little blurry to me. But somehow or the other... Uh, they dragged me over. We made it to the bus. We made it to the outside of the bus. And of course, you got to throw some humor in here. Uh, my wife to this day would probably run off with Elvis Presley and leave me. Uh, you know, <laughs> and on, on the side of the bus is this big Elvis Presley sign on the bus with me standing there, <laughs> blood coming out of all of it. But there's Elvis Presley. So. So uh, we made it onto the bus, and I kept saying to uh, D'Alessio, 
I'm shot. I'm shot. And I said, uh, I, I, I don't want my father to see me like this. I don't want my dad to see me like this. And then I saw all these hands coming into the bus. And then, like, all bets were off. And so I took out the remaining two guns and the first person through the door on those buses. That was it. And so, and then Jerry, Jerome, he got, he ran to the front of the bus, took the bus driver out of the seat, and he drove the bus up onto the sidewalk. And, and on the corner was a newsstand and a telephone, and he took it out. And he drove, he drove the bus clean across 116th Street. And when we got across on 16th Street, you know, of course, the people and stuff, but they unloaded the bus and I I went by radio car to St. Luke's Hospital. And when I got to St. Luke's Hospital, they came out with the gurney and I refused to get on the gurney. I didn't want my father to see me like that. Remember, I'm shot. I'm shot. And I started to walk and I went down. I did some damage to my knees. And, and and to my forearm, I went down on the sidewalk and then they put me on the gurney. And um, dear God, you know, there was my father. And I, I kept saying, Dad, I'm sorry. I, 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 Dad, I'm sorry. And so forth and so on. And then I learned I wasn't shot. And that's the first time I, I learned that I wasn't shot. And and they also and they also found and treated uh, uh, for a human bite. I had a human bite. Uh, a human bite on my neck and down, down in the in the next two were there was a, a, a Ray San Pedro and uh, Louis uh, Louis De, but but they were let go uh, they, they were let go on the on the first day and I was in the hospital for I guess four days when my and Joy Cardillo would come every morning before going down the hall to see Phil to see how I was and so forth and so on. And um, here's something else that's a memory that to this day, 1PP and them can't get it. When I really came around at one time, because I was in and out of it, uh, when I really came around, I found my room full of 11 black cops. The only white cop in there was Jimmy Arricchio. And they were smoking cigars and fooling around with the nurses. And they came over to me. They showed me the newspaper. And they and they were all black. And they said, little brother, we're going to take care of this. And they were all black. So <clears throat> on the fourth day or so, and Ray Kelly, by the way, was in charge of the detail, who would be the police commissioner, Ray Kelly. He was in charge of the detail of keeping the cops outside our doors to all of us that were in the hospital. Forget Phil, the PBA was all over that. So my father came to me and he said, son, Phil's not going to make it. Phil is not going to make it. And I said, okay. I said, thank you, dad. And um, I called Jimmy Arricchio and I said to Jimmy, get my clothes. And I got my clothes and I said, you got to get me out of here. And I got dressed and I went down the hall and I, I said goodbye to Phil. And it, it's strange enough, Joy, they weren't there. Uh, the PBA delegates were there. And I quietly said goodbye to Phil and I left. And Seedman never forgave me. 
Stephen never forgave me. So the next that I saw him was at the funeral. And um, boy, he dreamed me a new one. You know, we're, 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 you, you, we were looking, we didn't know where you went, and but we don't ever do this again, and blah, 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 blah. And, and that's when they all swore, and I was there. They all, after the people left, they all swore on the, on the coffin before the coffin would go down. We'll never forget you, Phil. We'll never forget you. And out of that came, remember, Cardello. They were there. Vito was there. Uh, Rudy was there. The PBA delegates, which were great, Bart Gorman, they, they were all there. They were all there. Sam DeMilla. Sam DeMilla didn't sw- uh, swear on the coffin, but uh, yeah. So they did it. The, the, the two eight guys did it. So, and then Seedman said to me, as I was getting back to the car, and he said, uh, <clears throat> you can't get that team again. You, you, you can't get that, get that team again. He says, but get a team. He says, as soon as you're back, he says, uh, get, get, get that team. And uh, you're on the Black Liberation Army. I was on, I went to back, back to work on the Black Liberation Army. So now we go back to the precinct and we go back to the precinct and the commander, you got to go? Yeah. Oh. And the commander, the commander of the 2A precinct, Jack Howe, he drops his shield just like in high noon. That caused a lot of confusion. He quit. Seedman, uh, <clears throat> about a week later or whatever it was, and I interviewed Seedman for the book. I went down to Florida to do it. And Seedman quit. And then a very powerful person, which is the DCPI, you know, on Sunday, he quit. But I didn't have the case at that. I was doing Black Liberation Army for one year. And after the shootout with Twyman Myers, and I identified Twyman Myers, I rolled them over, and I said, yes, that's Twyman, Twyman Myers. After that, you know, I went back to my house, and of course, my wife was there. She said, you, you, you got a phone call. And the phone call was from, and I can't, uh, he's such a good friend, Tom Nerney, I, what, what, any, in any case. And he said, meet me in 1PP. Meet me at 1 p.p. tomorrow. This was the, this was two, three hours after the shooting of uh, Twyman Myers. And um, so I had to go to 1 p.p. And guys, I met him in the bathroom. In the bathroom at 1 p.p. He had a cop go into the bathroom to make sure there was nobody in the bathroom. And then he and I went into the bathroom and the cops stood outside. And it was a lengthy conversation. And he said to me, you have the Phil Cardillo case. You're being assigned to the Phil Cardillo case. And that's how I got the case. And, and, the and that's how. And that in was the it. Bathroom. Yes, wow. in the bathroom. I promise you, in the bathroom. Randy, I just, I just want to. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. I just want to summarize sure. real quick. So that there's a crime scene. We have a cop <laughs> shot. We have three cops injured. A deputy commissioner from the NYPD impedes in the investigation, doesn't allow cops in, right? Doesn't allow cops in. There's an active riot going on. You were already told prior that it wasn't a riot. 
you go up to help clear a roof during the riot as they're throwing bricks down and an inspector from the police department comes up there, disarm you guys, leaves you for dead. You fight your way through there. You know, you go back to get treated yourself. You're a victim of that riot yourself and so is everybody on that scene. You know, your fellow brother was assassinated. Um, and the the police department basically and now here you go you know you you know that the world's against you the mayor the commissioner you know there's all this political play against you everything's at work and now right. you're assigned this case and and uh, Eric I'm sorry I didn't want to cut you off did did, did you have something no I no no I, it. no I was just summarize all that was fantastic I just, I just want to ask uh, on the rooftop. Was anybody there with the uh, the suit and tie that you described earlier? Was it orchestrated? Was it people from the uh, from the neighborhood? Who was on that roof? Uh, well, on that roof, obviously, was the deputy inspector and his uh, his chauffeur. And uh, uh, the uh, I, I gave you his name; it escapes me. Uh, five X, oh five X Kenyatta, and he had a sword. He had and the sword, and he's dressed. Yeah, he's dressed in the, you know, in the garb and stuff like that. Uh, he really just stood there. He didn't yeah. say anything, but yes. But right. it seemed like they were together. Oh right. Oh no, it, it was no, no doubt about it. They, it was orchestrated, right? They, they they definitely spoke together and planned out that they were going to yeah, go oh, disarm no, you. Yeah, no, no, no two ways about it. And and and, and, and by the way, when I, when I got back working. And this could be a month, a month later. Uh, I, I I got a call. In fact, I got several calls. Come over and pick up the shotgun. I wouldn't. I didn't go over and pick up the shotgun. I didn't. Finally, I did. But no, I didn't. And so, I, I just want to ask: at this point, with with this riot, with with uh, the incident that you had, did you guys have a manifest at this point of? Of the Black Liberation Army was there some type of manifest of of the security at at the mosque? What what type of literature did you guys have? And when you started this case, did you have something to prepare yourself, or you had to go in cold? I went cold. No, I I I I I I I went cold. No, I absolutely went cold for the one and simple reason. I mean, there was nothing to work off of. There really was nothing to work off of. You know. Newspaper accounts had better than what was put down by the by the police department. You know, now yeah. do I know this as a fact? But I've heard it too many times from people that I respect. You know, they they, they made out the unusual, and the unusual went to the division and it was sent back. Why? No, redo it. So that they made it out again, and it, it went to the borough. The borough sent it back. You know why? We had to take out the word riot and yep. substitute disturbance. <laughs> so we put in disturbance, and now now the unusual went down to wherever it goes. And, and Randy, in your opinion, because in a normal situation, that crime scene would have been held. Everyone there would have been held, right? You, you would have walked in with Vito to do an ID, right, of, of the people that were there. In your opinion, if that crime scene was held and not interfered with by the higher-ups in the police department, the political pressure from the mayor and outside forces, do you believe the crime would have been solved that night, right then and there? I, I, I don't know about solved, but it would have been put together. And what I'll draw reference to is a year ago 
Piagentini and Jones, right? We knew nothing of a Black Liberation Army or any until we got the mission paper. And and what did we have there? And guess what? We solved that. Of course, you know, when I say we, a whole bunch of great detectives that I worked with. Yes, yes. Yeah, we had to go to St. Louis. Yes, we had to go uh, to Atlanta. Yeah, but we solved that. I mean, I, l- let me give you an idea about the Black Liberation Army and then we can end this. You know, Nick Cirillo came to me one day and he's the rock from uh, Manhattan DA's office. He's the one that pulled me down to the DA's office. So <clears throat> he says to me, <clears throat> I got something. He says, but we're going to leave town. We, we, we got to leave town. I said, Nick, whatever you want. He says, you know, he always said this. He says, you know, tell the other half that you're, you're not going to be home for two or three days. And I said, okay. The next thing I know, I'm in Denver. And of course, I knew a lot more. I go to Denver. The Torres brothers, they were very high on the Black Liberation Army, the Torres brothers. And a lot of the information came from the FBI, to be fair. So <laughs> what, the Torres, what the Torres brothers would do is they were financed. And I am telling you, I am telling you, they were financed by people, the same people that sort of financed the Symbionese Liberation Army with her and Patty Hearst and stuff. They were financed. And what the Torres brothers would do is they would go to Denver and they would buy the best guns you had in the world. They buy these guns. Okay. They would crate the guns and they put it on a Greyhound bus and the Greyhound bus was headed for New York city. Of course, it may not be the same bus, but the bus would go and it would just, and good Guns were coming in to the Black Liberation Army from Denver to the Torres Brothers. So when I got out there with Nick, and it was only me and Nick, when I got out there and uh, we decided not to drop the Torres Brothers. Now, I'm going to get a laugh from you. Watch. Not to drop. So we didn't. We didn't. And finally, when we had when we had enough, when we had enough on a bullshit charge against the Torres brothers and Nick made the collar and the Torres brothers were sitting in in, uh, Rikers Island. They were sitting in Rikers Island ready to come in to be arraigned and so forth and so on. So Nick, along with the district attorney, John Kiernan, makes arrangements. I I, I did not. Makes arrangements and they're going to go and interview the Torres brothers, right? I'm saying it's a Wednesday, right? Tuesday, the FBI swooped into Rikers Island, took the Torres brothers, and we couldn't find them. Wow. And we wow. could not find the Torres brothers. Wow. We could not. We couldn't find them. We caught up to them. We caught up to them later on uh, in, in, in San Francisco, but we, 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 did, we, we didn't make that call. Who no, made we, that call, we, huh? Who made that call to the FBI? <laughs> Could never find out. Could never find out. So am, am I Am I putting out conspiracy theories? No, I'm putting out facts. Yeah. I'm putting out facts. Nobody knows. Nobody knew how the Black Liberation Army had such good guns. 
how they finance themselves. And by the way, I went to uh, St. Louis in the bank in the bank shootout in St. Louis when they were trying to finance themselves uh, through the bank. And one of them called Shasha Brown. He was well, he was shot but uh, and killed. And one of the bullets that was in him was from Piagentini's gun. And we recovered wow. Piagentini's gun. Holy shit. Yeah. So they had taken Piagentini's gun and they were using it in a <clears> stick-up. <throat> and in the shootout, I guess one of them shot. Their own guy. You know, accident. Yep. In wow. St. Louis. In St. In St. Louis. Absolutely. Wow. In St. Louis. So... And then Randy, and then bringing us back, you get the case, right? And could you just explain to everyone, they assign you, they assign you not with your guys, they assign you, they give you this lieutenant, this Lieutenant Muldoon or whatever. And and he was an, he was an inspector. Oh, he was, a, he was an inspector? All right. In, re- in real life. Oh, okay. Okay. Could you just, could you just tell everybody what your orders were in the case, how like the restraints that you would put on you to, to solve the case the, the what they said, you can't do, you're going to get this case, Randy, but this is what th- you can't do this. Right. So I, I, I met with him that morning and, uh, yep. He put, he put down the rules. Um, <clears throat> everything goes through me. Uh, you, uh, you report to me. Um, I I understood it. Uh, what what you can't do is you can't go you can't go to the mosque. <laughs> before before he got finished, I said, "But inspector," and he said, he put up his hand. He says, "Listen to me. You can't go to the mosque. Um, you cannot. Uh, you cannot. You cannot." Uh, interview you cannot interview uh superior officers you cannot interview superior officers here un- unless and uh, how i don't know another superior officer was present i i have no intention of, of uh, interviewing superior officers whatsoever uh you you can't go to the mosque you can't do that and i wound up in saying um i understand that there's a missing gun there's an alarm out for a missing gun. I said, I, I can't go to the uh, inquire, inquire about that. He was, at that point, he was sort of dumbfounded. He was sort of dumbfounded. And he leaned, leaned forward to me and he said, what alarm? I said, there's an alarm out for a missing gun. One of the cops' gun was taken that day. I said, is the alarm? And so I'm not to go to the mosque, even to conduct the search. Well, that's gone by now. That That's done along the lines like that. And he said, no. And I wasn't going to go any further. I wasn't going to go any uh, any further. And I I knew from the get-go. I knew from the I knew from the start. Honestly, I went downstairs. I had no idea of quitting or nothing like that. But I, I knew from then, I, I said, you know, I should have listened to my partner. And my partner said, he said, don't take this case. And he listed three or four detectives that took the case and left. They left off the case. I don't own a kind of him or whatever. Don't, don't do it. 
don't take this case. That's what he said. And I, that's what I was saying downstairs. And, and there's nobody, there's nobody to turn to, to, to wipe this off on, to, to wash it off. Did, did you believe like a partner? No, I had the case alone. And on top of that, you give me the deceased officers that he has to, and you to work with him. And you to work with him. I mean, he's a physical wreck. He was a phys- he was mentally wrecked. What he would do is every day he would go in and he'd look over the newspapers and he was making files in the newspapers. They had some things. Now, you guys are superior officers. You you exactly know uh, what a DD5 is. It's, it's answering up or, or substituting the 61. There were DD5s that said, <clears throat> uh, interviewed three Muslims today, um, NA, non-helpful, not a... Who are the Muslims? What what were their names? Who were they? Interview them. What time? What, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm telling yeah. you, this is on DD fives. Wow, this is, this is Vito. And what does he know? And, and, he and he's personally involved. And he's personally involved. Oh, so he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be investigating a, the case that he's personally involved in and was a victim of it. I mean, even you yourself probably. He's a cop. You know, he's yeah. a cop, and I'm not. I'm not against cops. You know. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many homicides were solved by cops. Cases that I had, you know. No, but he's not an investigator. You know, he's not somebody to interview you know, uh, suspects or or whatever the hell it was. So, Vito, I found jobs for Vito to do to go to go off and do. Of course, wherever I went, whatever precinct I went, of course, Vito went. And it really was disrupting. Herman Cruz, what a sweetheart, a sweetheart of a detective. I, I would do anything for, and he'd do anything for you. And he, when, when I went into the two five, uh, and they had moved, and, and of course now the two five was the head of the division. Uh, that and, and and he said to me, Randy. He says, you know, I I said I know, I said I know. <laughs> Don't bring Vito in here. So, yeah, that 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 that's what I was carrying around. That's what I was looking, and I had these restrictions. But you know, you'd have done the same thing. Any detective would have done the same thing. You know what? I did it. No, I didn't go to the mosque, but I did it. I did it. You're, who are you going to interview? How are you going to do? I didn't. I went and did it. I called guys while they were working. Guys from the 3-2. Come on down. And of course, the captains, whoever it was. It was the Cardillo case. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't tell him because that, that was not going to happen. That was, you, uh, submit a piece of paper to me who you're going to interview. and stuff. So, but I, I, I found ways. And yes, inevitably, um, yeah, I put myself in the position of, uh, uh, yeah, I did. But uh, no. And the, the, the worst thing that I did, and that was one of the charges, I, pull, I pulled the Donald Trump. I took all the records and I, <laughs> I went down to somebody that I knew in show business and he gave me an office. <laughs> I was calling cops 
it was on 56th Street and 8th Avenue, right across from 20th Century. Well, 20th Century had a building right, right there. So, yep, I That's did. Awesome. And he's the guy that built the model that they use in the trial. He built the model of the mosque. And I would have the guys come down, where were you? Yeah, I took all I took all those records. I didn't get caught. Yep. I mean, you were trying to solve. Course, you were trying to solve a guy's homicide. So, so, that you, yeah. you know, you worked with. Not yeah, a lot of people would have did that. I got. I you know. Yeah, but, I, but I, you know what? You, you know, this is me and you, right? You don't do that. You you don't come up with with phony uh, Dukas Takem uh, papers and then put Vito in a uniform and send Vito over to CBS and say, "Get the footage." Get get get. Which I did. I which I got. The, I said. And of course, Vito didn't know. He he thought it was real. Yeah, and they did. And and they and they I I I didn't try that with NBC. I knew that they were they were too smart. So I I I went over to NBC and you know, I threw myself on the mercy of uh, NBC. And she said, "No, you know, really, we can't do this. It takes a court order and stuff." I said, "I appreciate it." I said, "I really do appreciate it." You know, I got back to my office. I got back to my office. I'm telling you the truth. I got a phone call. Oh, you forgot something. You forgot something down here. And I went back to NBC to see what I forgot. And there they were. And there was the film. There was the film. So, <laughs> Listen, yeah. You, but you broke rules. And, and maybe, they were, maybe they were laws. But, like, morally, you're trying to solve a homicide. I mean, and, and the city of New York, the people who should be having your back, really do not have you back at that time. They're, they're actively working against you. And you and and you were there that night. You know Phil. Phil's wife came to visit you in the hospital, right? Every day, right? Every day. And and, and you're you're working out of I'm sorry, that's integrity. Like you 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 bended some rules to get the job done. That's what integrity is. You you didn't fall down and you you saw the wrong in it and you were trying to make it right. So I'm just gonna say right now, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you broke some you broke the rules and it's not right to take the case files out. But I commend you and, and honestly, you know, it might not be right in the eyes of man, but I, I think in the eyes of God, uh, I think you'll be absolved of that. I, I agree. I listen, I'm a firm believer. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger says it. The key to success, rules were made to be broken. And you had to break those rules to get to where you are. I mean, I'm curious. So here you are. You get the case in the bathroom. You get all these rules. You can't go to the mosque. What are you thinking to yourself? Because I would think to myself, clearly they don't want me to solve this case. to send me on a goose chase. What are you thinking at this point? Is that what you're thinking? First, let me say this. Yeah, I, I I broke the rules in the, in in the first place, guys. Your superior officer in the first place. Those rules should have never existed. Exactly. Those rules. Exactly. Have, no, they, exactly. They, they 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 should have never been. They should have never been there. You know, they should have never been there in the first place. And you know what? It's not. It, it's not so much. Um, I I don't know the percentage. That, that, you know, to solve this case. Is a total and complete, spelt in capital letters, embarrassment to the mayor, to the police commissioner, to the high-ranking officers. That's exactly what it is. And let me tell you something. When they went to the special prosecutor's office, they in so much as said that. They said, Selwyn Rabb wrote that in the New York Times. You know, 
uh, about superior officers. They didn't remember. They lost this file. They couldn't do that. No, yes, that's the reason. It was like, uh, I was the first one to say this, but then I've heard a lot of other guys say the same thing. They circled the wagons, right? But they began firing in instead of firing out. You know what I mean by that? I mean, guys quitting left and right. And, and, oh, yeah. Oh, but in any case. I mean, they should have been fired. Honestly, it's, that's that's corruption. It's corruption at the highest level. It re, like you're impeding in a co- an investigation of a cop's murder or anyone's murder for that point. You're impeding an investigation to, to whatever the reason is for political gain or to to keep unrest, civil unrest in the community. Whatever you want to say, they they broke the rules. They so, broke you know, the law. Yeah. Wait, they wait, broke the law. Let, 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 let me leave you with this. The, uh, <clears throat> we all know what happened back then. We're, we definitely do. I mean, uh, you know, what I'm, I'll use the word scared. What, 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 what I, and there was some exodus back, back then. There's always been an exodus. But what I see that 14 guys, 14 cops left this job. And went to Denver. It's in the paper. There was three that were given $5,000 each, right, to move and stuff. They're in Florida. They're doing podcasts in Florida. They're making more money. The exodus of what's leaving, leaving leaving the police department. And, you know, these outside organizations, they're not stupid. They know what they're getting. They yes. know what they're getting, and so, so now I now I see that you know besides the retirement, besides the people that are leaving, if you see the in column, the out column is far exceeding, you know the in column. Already, I've heard that we're seventeen hundred. The Wall Street Journal, we're seventeen hundred police officers short. It's by four words tonight. Yeah, it's a lot more. They're hiding it. They're completely right. hiding it. I mean, I, I, Randy, I just want to ask you one thing. We got Eric Adams, right? A former oh. former person who was paid to be a police officer. He at one time when he was a cop, he lobbied David Dinkins, lobbied David Dinkins to have Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. I know it. security and housing projects. What, 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 were, what were your thoughts at that time when, when you heard that? I'm sure you heard it around that time. You were already off the job already at that point. It was uh, Eric Adams. <clears throat> it was Eric Adams. Uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of movies, a lot of movies that were being made in New York City. And a lot of the security was uh, retired police officers, even police officers that were present got the right, you know, wrote with the papers to get a day off and, and to and to work with the mo- mo- movie company. This fast, right? This fast. You know who you know who was guarding the uh uh the the the, the movie company? Muslims. All mm-hmm. the Muslims. They started with a picture call across on 10th Street. All Muslims were there in the security. And guess what? They weren't getting paid. It was like one lump sum that went to wherever it went to. That, that they weren't they weren't getting paid. People like Joe Cirillo and them that I know, they, they were out of business. 
they were doing the, all the security. Now the Muslims were doing the security. Look, I know, I know Eric Adams. I, I, I do, do I know him personally? Yeah, I, I, I guess I do. I, I know Eric Adams when it goes back to when I was working with black detectives and stuff like that. When he made that 100 black detectives organization, he started to move the 100 black men. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, 100 blacks in law enforcement who care. That caused a lot, a lot of bullshit or whatever. Yeah, it was Eric Adams. You know, I happen to know that Eric Adams was in the housing and he was a lieutenant. And when the police department gobbled up the housing and um, he promoted himself to captain and came into the police department, he lasted 60 days. And he was put back to lieutenant. He was he was put back within the police department uh, uh, to lieutenant. Do I blame him for doing something like that? No. Now, <clears throat> I have been told whether it makes a difference or not. Eric Adams never made an arrest. Eric Eric Adams <laughs> not, was not in court. Not 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 at all. No. Well, I think he his has his son. He's got 11 to his name, but we all know he never put the handcuffs on. That was your sergeant walking him over. You're going to take this collar. Like, we all know that. He has 11, which is six more than Pat Lynch, who has five. Um, but. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, my <Sorry>, God. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, I want you to know I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I... Hey, Randy, I got a question for you. Yeah. Could you tell us? Based on the politics you've been watching now, what, what mirrors what happened with the politics back in your day? What what, what do you think what's going on now definitely mirrors or is, okay. is similar to I'll, what you I'll, 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 I'll clean this up. I'll clean it up, right? Nobody likes a cop. That's it. Nobody. <laughs> back then, you know, pigs or whatever, we wore a shirt that said pride, integrity, and guts. Pride, integrity, and guts. Yeah, I got into trouble. I could go and uh, just hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, take it. Sure, sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What a story. Oh. This oh, is real. When WINS when was uh, uh, playing oldies in 1972, suddenly. They went to uh, they went to a, a radio station and they say this today. You give us twenty two minutes, we'll give you the world. Okay, <laughs> I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I made I made the sign up and I hung it and it says, "Give me twenty two minutes and I'll give you a homicide." Randy, I, can you hung, can you throw it in front of your face? I just want to see it. We can't see it. Yeah, can we see I, it? I, I hung it up. I hung it up in front of, on the, the two way. You give me give 22 20. minutes and I'll give you a homicide. I hung it up on the entrance to the 2A. And the boss, <laughs> the boss let that go. Then when, <laughs> then when, then when channel, channel 5 came out and they said, you know, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? This one they made me take down. I said, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your killer is? <laughs> <laughs> I hung it I hung that one up in in the two way. That one they made me take down. I mean, you guys are dealing with 
death, though. Multiple de- multiple murders a day. Five hundred a year for three years. Crazy. And then and then I I read in your book at one point you said that in in the three years following the Cardillo incident, there were twenty homicides of cops, and thirteen of them were linked back to the Black Liberation Army. Yeah, and and that happened within eighteen nineteen months. By then we had a big we had made up a. A a, a a a a big shot, um, you know, Nick Cerullo, and this was not being done out of the police department. You know, this Crazy. was being done at that the Manhattan DA's office, the Manhattan DA's office. Something I've been saying recently, and it, it's okay for me to say it now. You know, after spending three days out in San Francisco with Bottoms in Washington, and um, John Cannon is the head of the Homicide Bureau back here in Manhattan on the Morgenthau now, Hogan died. So uh, we're sitting out in San Francisco. We're being treated very well, by the way. We go to San Quentin and we we, we, we take these guys out. Uh, they were inspectors, so they're, they're not detectives. So we're sitting out there and now we got to put them, we got to put them before, uh, you know, that, that this is it. So we fly out two witnesses, both females. We fly them out. And a, a, a detective comes with them. And if we have the lineup and she gets the yep, and we fly her back and we fly her back. And at, at the time, we're meeting with the FBI to make Herman Bell now number one to make Herman. Bell. New York FBI would not make Herman Bell, but they did in San Francisco. And I'm telling you, Nick Cirillo, he, he did all this. You know, I sort of tagged along and um <clears throat> He comes to me and he says, uh, Randy, and we got them in a holding cell. He says, uh, Randy, uh, I just heard from John Cannon. And I said, yeah. And he said, um, they don't have the money to fly us back. <laughs> okay, we'll stay. <laughs> we, had no, we had no money. We had no money to fly, to fly back. Two Guys that were already indicted for the killings of the of, of, of the cops, Bottoms in Washington. Of course, Washington would die of pancreatic cancer. Bottoms got out two or three months ago. Uh, two, two or three months before that, Herman Bell got out and joined the Democratic Party. But yeah, so I said, "What do you mean, Nick?" He says, "No." He says, uh, they, they, "They don't have the money to. They don't have the money to fly us back." I said, Nick, I, I said, you know, you put, he says, Randy, I'm serious. I said, well, well what are we going to do? And I'll tell you, the San Francisco PBA or whoever the hell it was came up with the money. Wow. San, Fran- San Francisco came up with the money. And we had four detectives we had five detectives and two prisoners, and so we left. We left. We left two detectives. We let. We, there, there wasn't enough money. Now, now listen to this. There's a guy. His name is Murphy. Murphy, and he's an airline pilot, and he's the cousin. He's the cousin of one of the inspectors out there, right? He has a meeting with Nick. He says, 
get on my plane. I'm taking you guys back. Wow. And we did. And we got on the plane. And I'll tell you, when we got on the plane, because we thought we were going to have to leave too, when we got on the plane, uh, he walked back. And he said to, to Bottoms in Washington, he says, let me tell you something. If you're scared shit, he says, you should be scared shit. So get up now and take that shit because you're not getting out of the seats until we get to New York. <laughs> Bottoms, <laughs> Bottoms was just sitting there looking at me and I said, oh, gee, what do you want me to do? You know? and, and they just sat there. They sat there. We took them back. And Mike DeSalvatore, well, Mike DeSalvatore walked from San Francisco to New York up and down the aisle, just walked up and down the aisle, shaking his head up and down the aisle, <laughs> up and down. And we were supposed to come in quietly, right? Yeah. When we got off the airplane, oh, my God. You ever see these scenes in the movies? The yep. photographers. And this was supposed to. We never said anything to anybody. John Cannon wanted it held down in the low until, you know, we secured what we had to secure with these people. That's it. Then I also, huh? Then I also, I had, I had also heard, and uh, it was legitimate that while we were out there and we were going to fly back, that uh, they had made some, they had made some threats. The Black Liberate made some threats to the, uh, made some threats to the whatchamacallit, to the, uh, to the airlines that they would blow up the airline or do whatever they were going to do, whatever it was. But, yeah. Hey, look, you know, it, it may be a different, it, it, it may be a different page, but basically there's a lot uh, on this page here of the 70s. Of the, uh, of the 70s. And it may all center around it, it it came to a head, I guess, on the on the Cardillo case. You, you you know what I'm saying? It probably all, all all came to a head, but you know, it's really been called the New York City Police Department's blackest day. Yeah, I mean, it's, or I, darkest I, darkest day. I, I, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I, when I when I was done with your book, I I felt like I'm throwing up. I'm not kidding. I really did. I I I I was like, I can't even believe that this happened, and I didn't know about it. I was born in 1980, so was Eric. I'm like, I can't believe that this happened, and I didn't know about it. I I, I know about the Cardillo murder, but I didn't know about the facts surrounding it and how. Really, I mean, I think I think the prologue when I when I read, I think I think it really you you nailed it in in that minute. I mean, it was like that they turned their back on, like the city turned their back on the police, and. The, the one thing that I'll say when I read your book, like my biggest takeaway was, and I, I spoke to Eric about it offline, was that at least you had the district attorneys working with you. Like, oh, not today. I, and that's what I said. I said, could you imagine today? Like, we're screwed. I'm like, they, they hate us. Yeah, Morgan Gore and Hogan and, and people like that, they, they, they got to be turning over. You know what I'm saying? To, 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 it's really, uh, I, you know, there's such a thing as uh, whether it, 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 it's misfeasance or malfeasance. So certainly, nonfeasance belongs to these people. Nonfeasance means you're not doing your job. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. You were seeing it right now. Actually, we were talking offline. So the department had just came out with a thing called Project Reset. So if you're a first-time offender for certain crimes, which pretty much the stuff you would get a desk appearance ticket for, 
the the DA's office will not prosecute and give you a second chance. But John and I were talking about so. How did the DA's office and the police department come up with this? How, the DA's office is not supposed to intervene and come up with social programs. Their job is to prosecute for the people. So it's just crazy times. And, and that's the part John and I were talking about. It's, it's just as crazy as things were, you had all these cops getting killed and, and, and the politics and, and them impeding your investigation. You still had the DA's on board. And if God forbid we're at that point now, we don't even have that. I mean, it, you have nothing. All Just, right. uh, you know, it's all really, you know, and all the guys, you know, from my era, there's a lot of there's a lot of us left, including the FBI agents that that, that, that I work with. Uh, you know, it's it's almost like they've thrown in the towel. You know what I'm saying? They, as far as they're concerned, the city's gone. The city is gone. Uh, you know, do you still stay in touch with some of these guys? Do you still have a relationship, a friendship with some of these guys you worked with? Especially, uh, especially Danny Bra- uh, Joe Pistone, yes. Joe, uh, uh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and uh, when my daughter was uh, two weeks old, uh, she was baptized in our Italian church here, and uh, uh, Joe Pistone is her godfather. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, yeah, so I know yeah. Joe. Oh, yeah. Uh, we worked a kidnapping case together where we. We got uh, some proclamation out of uh, Massachusetts for a job well done. He and I were worked. At, she was twelve years old. We, we, we got her back. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I yes, I know I, I I know these guys. Rudy Andre. Um, now Vito Navarro. You know who Vito Navarro is, right? Yes. On yes. New, new Year's Day, his wife passed away. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Rudy's still with us. Yeah. Uh, but Negron uh, 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 ne- ne- is not. Um, so I, I, I I'll just say this about Negron. Negron is no longer with us. Negron drank himself to death, having nothing to do with the mosque. Remember when I said he was waving the gun and with the yeah. Okay, so yeah. So <clears throat> uh, uh, Padilla is uh, Padilla is with us, but he's had. Um, a, 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 a situation with his brain. He's fine. He's okay. So, um, but uh, so many are, are gone. They're really gone. I mean, but. But your story yeah. lives forever. I will say that. I, I, I'm actually, John, I'm so, I'm, I'm glad you said it. I, I actually feel, I'm kind of shocked that when I joined the New York City Police Department, I, I didn't know, I, you know, I knew about, Philip Cardillo. We know about most of the police officers that you know you should remember, and uh, but I didn't know the story. And I think about it. I spent about eight years on the job until I finally read the story. I said, "Wow, I can't believe I've been on the job this long and I didn't even know that this actually happened." It, it was it was just shocking to me. I said, "I I should have known about that as soon as I entered the police academy." And that's why John and I said that we recommend that everyone it should be mandatory that if you enter the police academy, your book should be mandatory as, as part of your uh, graduation uh, requirements. You should have to read that book and have a good understanding of the nomenclature of the police department and how the politics could play a role. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, it, uh, this time it's for real, uh, but it will, it will, by the end of the year, it will hit 
somewhere. I I seriously doubt as a film, but it uh, right now they're aiming for four hours on cable, uh, but it also could be a a four hour doc, but played by actors. You know, okay. not me talking or you know Vito talking or whatever. So, and and I know something's going to happen because they had to go in their pocket. Yeah. They had they had to go in their pocket to option to get certain yes. Good. So Good. yeah. Listen, this should be on film. Honestly, this is this I is don't. a dark, this is a, a very dark time in New York City history. And I I don't think the public really understands what police officers go through. And honestly, reading your story, I mean I, I mean listen, you like your generation was de- definitely tougher than ours. Like I, I always say I said, we're, the, we're a weak generation. We're a weak generation of men. You fought in war, you know, you won the bronze star, you won the purple heart. But listen but listen to me. The the stuff that they put you through. I mean you had you had fifty thousand dollars on your head. You had a, a you had the mayor of New York and the police commissioner coming after you for you to try to solve a case. I mean the stress that you were under. I mean we we, we had an officer kill himself today. You know, we just had an officer. He he jumped. Really? Off, he jumped off the 16th yes. floor left rack. Um, you know, young kid. You know, I mean, you, you we see suicide a lot today. Um, it's really not talked about. I mean, and and honestly, you're 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 a strong, strong person. You're 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 a great example for people that there's life after this job. There's life on this job, and there's life after this job. And and honestly, because you did you did do the right thing. Like you you found you found Philip Cardillo's killer. I know the case didn't turn out, and that was not because of you. That was because of. That was because of the people, the higher ups that were on that scene that day should be ashamed of themselves. They sold their soul. They should be ashamed. They they crushed that case. You solved that case. So, but you know, I I heard what I heard what you said. You know, uh, uh, dark days and the police department in trouble and the city is. Uh, isn't that happening right now? Not to switch gears. Isn't the city of New York in trouble? Absolutely. Isn't the city of New York virtually running out of money? Isn't people running from the city like there's no tomorrow? And stop blaming uh, COVID and stuff like that. It's crime. You know, it's it's that you know it's the high prices. You 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 you're looking away uh, to to take our medical benefits, uh, force us into a plan that we really didn't it, we, we really don't want and stuff like that. And and please, the police department, come on. <laughs> Look what's... You know what's said about that, Randy? What you're saying is 100 true. Because John and I have watched Chief Kemper, who's now the new transit transit chief of the New York City Police Department, just blatantly lie through his teeth through an interview on New York One, and the reporter was Dean uh, Memminger, and he asked him about what's going on in the streets and about safety, and it it was a complete lie when they're comparing numbers. But what was said was. In his in his uh, narrative, he blames the cops just as you guys were blamed back then. And he says that they talked about the felony assaults, the increase of assaults, and he blames that the felony assaults have seen a 40% increase, but that 40% increase was assaults on cops, but only when the cops were taking action. So almost blaming the cops. Again, the cops are always getting blamed. They're getting blamed now. They were getting blamed then. It's just unfortunate that we we keep going on this wheel. The cops always seem to get blamed, and they're going out there with their hearts and their minds in the right places. 
Well, I mean, what do you think when you when you hear something like that? Well, you know, what what they're doing again, you know, is that they're, they're like circling the wagons. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not. You saw the shakeup in the police department. Wow. Uh, Eileen lost her job. She was a sweetheart. She was so good to us. It just trust me. You know, I'm a Purple Heart recipient, and you know, we have we have meetings and stuff like that. She gave she gave us the two four precinct to have the meetings in, and we did. We had them there. I mean, those people, you're gone. All of those people, and and they've replaced all of them. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a rumor. I hear that the PC may be going. Oh, that's that's a strong rumor, and I he wants to put Phil Banks in. That's it. There, yeah. I'm glad you heard the same thing I did, because I didn't even want to put, put up that name, give that name. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's got to take the fall for what is really what is really going on, you know? And I could see the way that this inspector just got up and, and, and talked, you know, you know. So if the police take less action, we're going to have less felonious assaults. In essence, is that is, is that street talk instead of the, the legalese that they use? Uh, uh, exactly. Well, guess exactly. what? Well, you know. Well, uh, guys, uh, you know, is it, all lost? Uh, is the pendulum going to come back the same way and stuff like that? Jesus, uh, you know, I hope so. I hope so because, I mean, I like you, and I, I, I know you'll admit this. I, you know, for all its faults and waltz and stuff like that, Jesus, I was proud, and, and I, 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 I love to be uh you know, and we weren't called police officers back then. I loved to be a cop. I had really liked it. You know, I was proud. I couldn't wait to go home and show my mother my shield. You know, hey, look what I got, mom. And then, of course, when I made the de made detective, I thought my father's chest was going to bust. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, to 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 me, uh, you know. I, I, I look back and I maybe you guys are the same way. I couldn't have been anything else than than, than, than what I was, you know, and I loved it. And so with that kind of emotion and stuff like that, it's just really a shame of what is happening, you know, to our city and, you know, and, and to our job. You know, I, I, I've, somebody else told me this years and years and years ago. Hey, guys, we didn't have a job. We had a career. Uh, we had. I, I we, had we had. A I know. I. I was. E even with the. Uh, even in the position I was put in, that, uh, you know, I made the decision to retire because I was under the pressure of the Civilian Complaint Review Board. I actually got eight sets of charges in my last year, and as a lieutenant, I used to say to my guys, "I'm not a lieutenant. I'm a cop that leads other cops." I was proud to be a cop. I love doing police work, but I right. had to leave because the Civilian Complaint Review Board would not let me do police work anymore. And the same thing with John. John had to leave because the city doesn't want him to do police work. And they lost two intelligent lieutenants that want to do police work, and they're losing more. It's a constant battle. They're losing quality people that are capable to do the job. And I'm glad that you're keeping up to current events. I'm really impressed. 
All right. Yeah. So, um, so <clears throat> guys, um, what, what we have talked here is, uh, I don't care how you expose it or where you put it or something like that, but guys, you know, you, you, you know, uh, you, you, you like, you can't sell this, please. You can't sell this to anybody. No, we don't sell. No, this is a, it's a podcast. No, we, we, we yeah, put it yeah, out for view. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not selling anything because contractually, contractually, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not supposed to speak about this while people own this, you know what I'm talking about? And yeah, they yeah. do own it. And I just told you, you know, by the end of the year, we're going to see something, you know? Yeah, no, so, we're not, we're not selling anything. This is just a podcast. We put it out for free. Total, it, it's, total, it, total, total and complete trust here, guys. No, no yeah, problem yeah, yeah. at all. It's, no, no, no. you know, it's just we started this basically to to push back to change the narrative when someone's saying, oh, it's not a riot. No, that was a riot. And we'll break down all the incidents. We break down police well, incidents. I, I, as, as much as we've discussed here about the 70s, I, you know, guys, I think I think there's a lot of podcasts about, about 2022, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really do. Absolutely, no, absolutely. But listen, I don't. We don't want to hold you all night. You know, okay. It was an absolute, absolute honor. You know, you're you're a legend in the police department, guys. Thank, thank, thank you for having me, and thank you for the job that you guys are continuing to do. And I, I, I really mean that. It's not a mutual admiration society here. Thank you. Uh, you know, th- thank you for what you're doing. Uh, likewise, you know. We're not here to make any money. We're just here to seek the truth. And our message is to be the catalyst for change, to change the Civilian Complaint Review Board, to change the, the vaccine mandate, and to actually boost morale. You know, we just lost a police officer's life today to suicide, and that's been a, a huge problem. We want to be the catalyst for change and, and, you know, really help these police officers and these cops that are out there. So, Randy, I have nothing but admiration for you. You're, you're a really impressive guy. All right, guys. All right. All right, Randy. So, it, it was a pleasure, my friend. If if you could just do us a favor, could you just leave us with the last word and, and your message, whoever you want to say it to, the cops, the world, whatever. Okay. I, um, I uh, strongly, strongly support, uh, love, um, and guys, you know, take care of yourselves. I mean, you belong to the greatest group, uh, if not in the United States, in the world, that you are a, you know, New York City police officer. Trust me. And I know you will not do anything to shame the badge. You will not. Uh, <clears throat> I love you guys. If, if there was some, some way that, uh, you know, we, we could swing it around, that you could do your job or you were supported, you know, supported better than what you are. Just remember, there's a group of us that really went through this uh, and, and quite a few of them lost their lives. And uh, we got through it. We got through it the same, same that you will. Just please, you know, hang in there and just know who you are. You are a New York City police officer. We love you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, great message, great message. Yep, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Randy Jorgensen. Randy, thank you, my friend. Good night, guys. Good night, sir. Good night. Pleasure.